You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Well, they weren't making videos like that when I started out 40 years ago. <laughs> Things have changed. How many of you have been, ever been spiritually stuck? How many of you ever hit walls you just couldn't hardly get through? Uh, boy, do I have a class for you. Uh, going deeper in faith is really designed for anybody at any stage in life and, and any stage of faith. And uh, I really hope that uh, you seriously think about being a part of that six-week journey, either on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, because we're going to be walking through some real re, uh, realities and ways in which we can journey together, how we can learn spiritual practices and how we can not just get caged in, but to move forward and deeper in our faith. So there's my personal invitation to you. Well, today we're talking about the struggles real. We're talking about authority. I remember in the 1970s, and this dates me, that uh, there was a very pump, uh, popular bumper sticker that said, question authority. How many remember that bumper sticker? Yeah. And there was a mantra that was designed, that was very popular in my generation, that said, do not trust anybody over 40, which worked really well for me until I got over 40. But our, our problem uh, with authority comes on a lot of different levels. Who of us have not had some really bad experiences personally with authority? Who of us have not seen authority abused? or power corrupting? Who of us, uh, perhaps uh, some of us, based on our personality, tend to be more defiant against authority than others? But the other side of the coin is, uh, who of us have not seen the problem when there is no rule of law? When there is no authority? So what we want to talk about today in the struggle with authority is, is a particular type of an authority. Now, the type of authority that we don't want is what the image is on the screen, where uh, it's a servitude, it's an unquestioning authority. It's where uh, we are reduced to, to robots and mindlessness. We, we see and we are very much aware of that kind of authoritarianism that can rise up and take advantage of people who are subjects. But what's striking about the scripture is that we're offered an alternative. In the way of Jesus, we're offered an alternative. And the authority that we're talking about today is this mutual submission under the authority of Christ. Say that with me. Mutual submission under the authority of of Christ. Now, what, what does that look like? We've been singing those songs this morning about submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. Well, what does that really mean in practical terms? When you think about the life of Jesus, he has an authority that I think I could submit to. The way he exercised authority. He was the Son of God, right? He is the Son of God who came to this earth as a human being. He put aside all the rights and privileges of being God. And he lived this earth, on this earth as a human being 
claiming and knowing the authority from God and living out that authority, using his authority to do what? Well, to, to cast out evil, to heal the sick, to do good. And he was always subject to the will of his heavenly Father. And when it was God's will, Jesus subjected himself to the authorities. And the authorities took him and arrested him and they killed him. Jesus was someone who has ultimate authority. And he has the ultimate authority over us, the church, his followers. So this message, as we talk about some of the finer points of submitting to one another, and we're going to look at some difficult scriptures together, keep in mind that ultimately what, what makes this work and what this is ultimately about is how that we are under the authority of Jesus. And I need to get better at that. How about you? So the teaching that we look at in Ephesians today, chapter 5, and looking at some troublesome verses, just like we did last week, we're, we're not trying to hedge on Scripture or, or bypass the difficult passages, but to look at them in fresh new ways and see what they really are saying to us. In, in the teaching that Paul teaches today on authority, he's not endorsing subservient relationships. That was in the culture already. He's obliterating them in what he has to write and what he has to say. All right? So let's look at the scripture together. And first of all, we're going to look at a very difficult passage. Well, all three can be very challenging, but the first one comes to us from Ephesians chapter 6. I'm kind of working my way back. We're talking about slaves and masters. Now, before we look at this passage, I want to say something. Scripture can be misused and abused and misunderstood. Unfortunately and tragically, in our own American history, this scripture that we look at, which, which was in a different context at a different time, was used to in, endorse the legitimacy of slavery from a faith perspective. But that's not what Paul is doing here. That's not what Scripture is doing here. Paul is operating within the culture of what was given. You hear the difference? He's writing from a pastoral heart. He's writing within the context of the reality that in the Roman Empire, in the Greek-Roman world, slavery was a part of the culture, and unfortunately it still is today in many parts of the world, and there's all kinds of different variations of it. And so there was in the Roman Empire. And so the word that we look at, slaves, right off the bat there, that's the Greek word doulos, can be translated as servant or slave, and some translations, I think, get it best when it says bondservant. Because in, in, the, in the Roman Empire, and so I, I'm already explaining before I read the scripture, but I just feel like I need to do this, that in the Roman Empire, there were bond servants where you worked out for seven years or 14 years. And there were different stratas of relationships within the confines of what slavery was occurring. So with that in mind, let's see what Paul has to say. 
Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, for with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, don't do it just when they're looking, but do it faithfully whenever and whatever you're doing. But as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And then he says something very striking, and this is what flips the boat completely. He's not rocking the boat, he's flipping the boat over. Because what he says next is a, is a radical, obliterating statement of power and abuse of power. He says, masters, those of you who are the one who directs the bondservant in the culture of Paul's day. Do the same to them. Did you hear that? All the things, all the difficult things that he had said that slaves, that bond servants were to do for the master, he's saying, masters, do the same to them. I pleasure, uh, people pleasing, no. Treat them with respect. When you serve them, stop threatening them, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with them. Now, it's hard for us to step back into that world or into any world, and, and yet, uh, does this have any particular bearing on our life today in terms of our employer-employee relationships, in terms of the workplace, in the way that power structure happens within our culture. Jesus, Paul, Scripture is consistent that there is no partiality with God. Uh, I worked as a bond servant, in a way, to two different individuals during the ministry that I served in. I was associate pastor with Bill O'Quinn for two years, and I was a district superintendent with Ann Shear. I was a district superintendent for five years, three months, one day, and 27 minutes. <laughs> now, the difficult thing about being a district superintendent is you're in the middle management position. You ever been in a middle management position? You got no authority. I mean, you, you don't have anything yourself. You serve at the pleasures of the bishop, and you get all the gripes from the people and the pastors. You're middle management. You ever can avoid a middle management position? Do it. I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but you get the point. But I think it's good for anybody in any capacity, in any company, in any profession, in any vocation, in any experience to be able to serve as a bondservant, in a sense, where you're not calling the shots. We live in an autonomous age, an autonomous time, where we all want our own authority. I get it. But I learned a great deal in those roles. I served uh, people and with people who were flawed and yet very gifted, who were sinners and who were saints, just like the rest of us. There were times when I was asked to do things 
that I was glad to do, obliged to do, and thrilled to do. And there were times when I was asked to do things that were not exactly easy or something that I would rather do. But I was never asked to do anything that sacrificed my integrity or reduced me to servitude. You hear the difference? You're in a position where your boss, your employer, asks you to do something to compromise your integrity or asks you to, to be reduced to a sense of a servitude role where you shut up and just take orders. I know that's the way it works in the military, but if that's the way in which you function in, in life, that's not according to the teachings of Christ. That's at the heart of what Paul is saying. What's Paul saying again? He's saying, slaves are your masters with deep respect and fear, seeking to, to please them. Work with enthusiasm, employers, employees, as you work for the Lord. Masters, employers, treat your slave, treat your employees in the same way. Remember, you both have the same master and he has no favorites. Let's look at a different passage. This is the one on parents and children. Here's what Paul has to say about this. Children, Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I want to share with you two very happy images, two uh, inspiring images. The first one is a video of uh, Mika Hotchkiss, Pastor Jake, and, and Kayla's little little girl. Let's watch this video real quick. Now, another image I want to share with you is uh, Chloe Smith, uh, Tim Smith, our youth director, Angela Smith, our kids director. She got away from Tim one evening on a Wednesday night, and he couldn't find her. And little Beckham, their son, followed her, and he found her in the prayer room. And there she was singing before the cross, the Lord's been good to me. Now, those are two very beautiful images of what relationships can be like and what Christian parenting can look like in a very small child's life. There's no accident, I think, that... Paul gets specific in one passage where he says fathers. Not the mothers can't do this, but he says fathers. Don't provoke your child to anger. Don't be harsh with them. I heard, picked up a little teaching from a guy named Ricky recently, and we'll just leave it at that, but he had three A's in terms of what a a child needs from their father in particular. 
affirmation, attention, and affection. They need to be affirmed. Especially in the ages 3 to 10. They're going to be linked up to their mom. Hopefully, if they have a father in their life, uh, particularly age 3 to 10, they don't have a biological father, especially a father of faith. It's incumbent upon other men and male role figures to step in in these situations that affirm, that give them their attention. Taking the ball games, do the rough and tumble thing. Let boys be boys and men be men in the best sense of the word. And show them affection. You do that, they're going to be all right. You know, we live in a tough time to be a man. Culturally, we've seen the example of bullying and machoism. The other extreme is this emasculation of men. Our culture is teaching this. We've lost the clear distinction between male and female. Where the scripture clearly teaches consistently from cover to cover that to be made in the image of God, God made us male and female. That there is a distinctive difference between the two. And this is to be celebrated. Now, we may claim some other authority and we may have all kinds of other things that culturally going toward us, but if you're a student of the Bible and you believe in the authority of Scripture, you cannot compromise that. What does it mean to instruct a child in the Lord? Well, here's, here's four things. Skipping on, Will. Uh, Introduce and teach them how to stay connected to Jesus. John 15. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Speak the truth to each other. In love. Ask for. And receive. Forgiveness. Parents, if we do that, we'll be doing right by our children. Now there's that one more passage we've got to get to, husbands and wives. As we look at this passage together, listen to the words, and then we'll talk about them. Paul, first of all, says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, there's a sense of mutual submission to one another. What if husbands and wives treated each other in the way that we are treated by Christ? What if the way in which we have reverence for each other was the reverence 
that we had for Christ. Paul's discussion begins with that. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now in the two verses that Paul says about wives submitting to their husbands was not something that was radical or new in that day. But what he says to husbands is totally countercultural. Not only rocks the boat, but it flips the boat completely over. The idea that a husband is to submit or serve or love his wife as a servant, as Christ loves the church. Now, I think there's some very strong misunderstanding and misunder, uh, false teaching about this. For many people in some cultures and some churches will teach that a man is here, a woman is here, and that's the way the relationship works. And the teaching that I've heard from some pastors uh, will say, you know, the, that holiness part about women, their holiness is dependent upon the man. If Susan Cassidy, who's sitting right over there, if her holiness is dependent upon me, she's in a world of hurt. But her holiness and my holiness and your holiness is dependent upon Christ. That's what Paul's saying in this passage. And the intimacy that a husband and a wife can share together is a reflection of the intimacy that Christ and the church enjoy. That we have a spousal relationship with God. We have a love affair going on with God. And the closest reflection we have of that kind of a relationship and intimacy with God is a reflection of an intimate relationship that can and hopefully can occur between a man and a woman. That's, that's what the scripture is teaching. See, the, the whole deal here is that we could have titled this message, Our Struggle with Submission. 
I don't have a personality that easily does that. How about you? But if we're going to follow Christ, how do we make this work? I love uh, Adele Calhoun's statement that godly submission is rooted in God's good and loving intentions for each one of us. That's where to start, right? Submission isn't something God forces down our throats because forcing people to submit is oppression. Therefore, biblical submission does not trap people into abusive relationships. It's not the kind of submission where if you're in an abusive relationship, get out of it or address it. It's not about abusive relationships that rob them of their freedom. Submission is a way that we allow God's kingdom, God's agenda, God's reign to shape our choices, our relationships, and our vocations. And it always works in conjunction with our personal freedom. If we ever needed a time where God's agenda and kingdom and values can shape our agendas in our life and our culture, it's now. And it's time for Christians to really be Christians and to live under the authority and the submission of the way of Jesus. So here's what we've been talking about today. Here's the summarization. Here's what we want to see. If you and I follow the authority of Jesus and submit, we'll allow other people to guide, lead, and correct us based on wisdom and giftedness. We'll submit to those in authority if it doesn't compromise our integrity or our faith. Those in authority, those of us who are in positions of authority, we take on the servant's role laying aside the need to dominate. We free ourselves of a rebellious spirit and any need to be autonomous. And we follow, and we need to follow, and we lead when we need to lead. As we come to the table this morning, there's three questions I'd like to just pose with you that I wish we had time to talk about this morning, but we don't. But these are the three questions that I'm wrestling with as a result of this message. <clears throat> I don't know if I've been preaching to anybody today, but I've been preaching to myself. Here's, what I'm, here's the questions I'm wrestling with. Maybe these are questions you want to jot down or take with you. But what, is it, what does submitting look like for a leader or a high achiever? Do you consider yourself to have a submitting temperament? Some of us, by nature, are submitting, and, and it's good to submit, but we can also be doormats. But if, if you don't have a submitting temperament, you can be overly defiant sometimes. The most important, perhaps, question is, what's the most challenging aspect in submitting to others right now? Today, we come to the, to, to the table and... We submit to the authority of Jesus. And again, Jesus, we think of you. And How was it that you were able to put aside all the rights and the responsibilities of being God? And you took on human form and human likeness and you became a servant of all. How was it that you were able to then use authority in a way where you refrained from, from the temptation to retaliate? 
but you became this one among us who healed and loved and forgave. And when that time came when you did not want to die, but you submitted to the will of God and you submitted to the authorities and you were arrested and you were beaten and you were abused and you were broken uh, on the cross, we submit to your authority and to your goodness. As you pour out your blood for us, we submit to you. We pray now, Lord, that you would minister to us in these moments where we're wrestling with what's going on in our life and our world, and we don't, we don't really always know what to do or what faithfulness looks like. Help us, Father. Help us, Son. Help us, Spirit to live in submission to you and mutual submission to one another. Pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world, your body, redeemed by your blood. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.